To whom much is given, much is required. Part of that requirement is sharing. Culture is the heartbeat within our lives, and it's at the core of so many things. While we live in a time when we are starving for wisdom, I welcome you to your wisdom retreat at Culture Raises Us. Today's guest, Alicia Wainwright, uh, actually is a, a former scientist who turned actor, um, who starred in Raising Dion, uh, Shadowhunters, and is now part of the new Apple TV Plus romantic com- comedy, uh, Platonic. Uh, super, super excited for her to share her journey um, from science to acting. I think while still feeding you know, her passion of science, which we'll hear about, through her work around the broad scope of human health challenges, as I'll call it. But before we do that, I really want to start with our key question of when you hear culture, what does that mean to you? First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, (laughs) uh, I would say that um, when I think of the culture, I think of the flavor. It's the Mm. flavor of the person. So what is it that kind of adds that essence to your character. So whether you're coming from a culture um, in the Middle East versus a culture in South America, like there's like flavors to the the essence of a person that's influenced by the culture, but like inherently we're all the same. Uh, so that's kind of how I approach thinking about culture. I love the flavor, the flavor <laughs> piece. So true. So I, I, a very high level intro I gave, obviously, I'd love to you for you to kind of share a little bit more about yourself, uh, your upbringing, and just a little bit about your story. And obviously, we'll go into a lot more of that in the rest of the talk, but just love to hear from you. Yeah. So uh, I went to university for botany uh, from Florida. I'm from Florida. And when I graduated, I did a post-baccalaureate internship at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute in the Panama Canal. And uh, while I was there, I learned a lot about kind of what the industry of science is like and what it would require for me and just the intense dedication towards research, which I realized I lacked. And I kind of had a little bit of an existential crisis. I moved to California because it seemed fun. And I actually... Uh, did a wine harvest because I thought perhaps I could pivot plant science to plants like like agriculture or something like that. And I ended up moving to San Francisco and found my way into acting through a community of friends that I had there and then uh, made my move to L.A. once I had um, a little bit of experience under my belt. And so what's fun is that I have this background in science and for years I never really talked about it. It just kind of never really came up. And lately, for whatever reason, it's almost like something in my life is pushing me towards revisiting this aspect of my previous career. And it came to a head when one day I got an email from this British production company and they were like, hey, you don't know us. But uh, we love your show, Raising Dion, and we realize you used to be a scientist. Um, we have this podcast that we're trying to get started about public health science and awareness for kind of, if you will, like underserved um, areas in, in the news and media about science. So women, countries like in South America, in Asia, in these places where maybe Western 
media isn't really focusing on the, you know, cutting edge research that they're doing, would you want to host this podcast? And I was just like, it fell into my lap. And I'm like, how did you even get my personal email? And they're like, oh, well, you wrote a paper uh, in college and uh, we just emailed wow. that email, which is an email I still have from when I, <laughs> when wow. I graduated college, which is insane to me. And they, right. there was something about that level of, um, you know, research that they did and, and the, the connection that they had towards me and my, my, uh, history in science that I was, I knew I had to figure out how to make it work. And so it took uh, several months to come together, but then now I have this incredible podcast when science finds a way and it's partnered with the welcome trust, which is this incredible organization that gives so much money to fund research for these communities that are kind of empowering people at the ground level. And that's something that I'd love to talk to you about in terms of culture and, and giving people their own agency, um, how that inspires like a fostering of community um, and develops culture. So uh, that's a little bit about my history and then sprinkled in there, you know, do movies, do TV shows, all that. Just stuff. a couple of those things. Just, just like, a couple of know, those little things. <laughs> I'm an actor, but um, it's just, I feel incredibly blessed to be able to come full circle and, and be able to infuse my previous experience with, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more articulate now than I was. That's right. You know, You're more prepared. Yeah. Exactly. I got some lived experience and, and, and I can approach things like podcasting with a little bit more openness and fun. And, you know, so it's cool. I, I, I feel, uh, I feel really, no, it, it, it is a blessing. It's, it's also a blessing to be able to be open to receiving, you know, these, uh, divine connections, Right. Because it sounds like when you were looking at it, it was like this divine connection, like these people just reached out to me, had access to a paper that I did in college, yeah. had my old email address, like all those things look crazy for for regular people. But when you're kind of locked into your purpose, a lot of these things no longer look crazy. It's just kind of part of the divine plan of these connections were supposed to happen. And now you're in the place of being ready to receive and step into it, like yeah. you just said, you know, and when this show came to me, Raising Dion had just been canceled after oh, wow. uh, its second season. And I, you know, many actors can feel really disheartened and when am I ever going to work again? And am I going to work again? I need a job and all that stuff. And it can feel really overwhelming. And to be offered this opportunity at a point when I wasn't shooting was incredibly helpful because mm. I have the mental space to actually give it attention and, and nurture this process and be more involved in the process. And I think if I was just shooting and doing this on the side, I wouldn't be able to give it nearly as much uh, love and attention as, as I am able to now. And I learned a little bit about my capabilities. Like maybe I could host something in the non-scripted space. Maybe I would approach doing another season of the podcast. Right. Like these are all things that I just wouldn't have had the mind space for if I was doing what I, thought I should be doing, which is, you know, working continually in TV and film. That's right. Well, well, you, you obviously have quite the journey with your shift, I'll call it, from science to acting. But, but starting with the science piece, and as you mentioned, at the University of Florida, where you studied botany and then moving to Panama, which blew my mind, <laughs> to conduct this field research in preparation for a PhD at a, as a Smithsonian 
biologist. I mean, this, this is a whole lot of words right here and a whole lot of descriptions. Um, like where, where did this passion for science come from? And, and I only ask because I'm sure growing up, there probably weren't a lot of people who looked like us in the limelight within the scientific community, right? You would uh, be correct. I grew up okay. in a suburb of South Florida and uh, in my community, it was pretty split between uh, I would say like about half white and then quarter Latino and then a quarter black. And it was pretty like, you know, that what I call like mild segregation, which is like, you know, some like the school district I went to like was, was racially segregated within mm-hmm. the school. So it ha- it was very diverse if you looked at the numbers, but right. typ- typically people kind of uh, tapered off. Gravitated and- to their own. Yeah. And so it was interesting because I was kind of a bright kid. So I ended up in these like, uh, I had to kind of fight my way into getting into some of these honors program spaces because it almost felt like inherently they tried to segregate those as well. And so Mm -hmm. being able to have a seat in those classes, I was one of a few uh, brown kids. And then I just wasn't really getting a lot of attention for my academics, for example, it was like I was coming home with grades that were not on par with what they used to be. My mom was really concerned. So she moved me to a different school and helped me get some um, like uh, like tutoring and stuff like that to kind of level up my everything. I was slowly. Um, I mean, what do you call it? Like you're not making your benchmark achievements. Right. So in, in that trial period, I would say around like middle school, when she started to notice that my school was not helping me benefit as a student. And when you think about it, I grew, I graduated magna cum laude from university of Florida, but in middle school, if you're not getting that focused attention on education, because your teacher doesn't think you have the aptitude, like my life could have taken a totally different trajectory if my mom hadn't intervened. And one of those interventions was to put me in science camp. So in the summer, my mom found this science camp. It was a STEM camp geared towards um, uh, diversifying students at this camp. And they had every week, I believe it was a different area of science. So one week it would be marine biology. And then one week it would be mathematics. And another week it would be physics. And it's just these very basic, simplistic things just to introduce these young minds into STEM. And one of those weeks, two weeks really that stood out to me was the marine biology week and the botany Mm. week. So learning how plants work, how they function, and then learning ecosystems. That's the real takeaway I got because we went to a pond and we like took pond water, we put it in a thing, and then we kind of monitored how everything was influencing each other. And I was so obsessed with uh, trying to understand systems, ecosystems, ecology. And as I went through high school, I had so many varying interests, but when it came to picking a major, I had this grand idea of, I'm going to major double major this. I I don't think I've ever shared this before. I'm going to double double major in botany and pre-med, and then I'm going to graduate. And then I'm going to go to the Amazon 
and I'm going to find some miracle plant. And then I'm going to infuse this miracle plant into some sort of product that then I can market to people and it'll like revolutionize like skincare or like hair care or something like that. I really was interested in like branding some sort of unique thing. And I thought like, oh, coming from a scientist, people will respect what I'm going to end up doing. So this was like a, right. a, 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 an idea that I had way back when. And uh, all of that came from this science camp that I did in the summer geared towards, you know, POC kids um, mm -hmm. in South Florida to get them interested in science. So when I see these programs where I see, you know, anyone geared towards trying to put a special focus on underserved communities in those spaces, I think about myself when I was a kid and how it changed my That's life. Right. And, and even though I'm an actor now and you're like, okay, well, you don't do that anymore. Here I am now coming full circle in this interesting way. You know, I have a, no, the, the, yeah, the seed that was planted. Uh, I'm so glad you're able to reference back in the importance of that camp. And the hope is that there are many opportunities like that for many others who look like you to also have that experience. Right. And hopefully one day be the founder and creator of Vibranium, which I feel like that's what you were on the cusp <laughs> basically, of. Basically, basically, I wanted to start my origin Marvel story, you know. One thousand, <laughs> listen, as you were selling the story, I was like, wait a minute, she might be like the inspiration behind Black Panther and Vibranium. This is outstanding. No, but but seriously, I think you, you bring a lot of insight and knowledge around health related topics um, that don't seem to be on what I call the cultural radar, right? And I, I look at you talk about things like heat stress adversity, adversely affecting, you know, women mm -hmm. versus men. Is this very intentional for you to take on these type of topics? Well, you know, at this point in my career, I am a little sensitive of the kinds of organizations that I align myself with. And one of the things that I was very concerned about with aligning myself with the Welcome Trust was understanding what is their core objective in terms of communicating their research to the public. What kinds of research are they interested in sharing and what sort of things are they doing? I come from a, a, a strongly uh, religious background, um, Southern Baptists. And, you know, people would go on missionary trips where you go to an African country and you dig a well and then you feel happy, you take a bunch of pictures and you leave. And these sorts of things are as well-intentioned as they may seem. They don't necessarily serve the communities how they need to be. It's almost like this colonial outside idea of what they, you think they need. And mm -hmm. I take strong issue with that. And I don't like that. And so when I found out that the Welcome Trust, they don't do that. They, they do the opposite. They go to these underserved communities for example, um, one of the uh, organizations that we worked with, RISE, they focus in countries like Fiji and they go to these communities that are not fully developed. They don't have full functioning water systems and they go in there and they're like, what are your issues? Well, when it floods, I can't get to work. So rather than creating some highfalutin thing, they empower the people to help build better um, walkway systems that won't get flooded so that people can get to where they need to go. Right. And these organizations are just going back to some of the most basic things that people need 
educating them on how to do it for themselves, and then empowering those individuals to get together as a community and be like, thank you for your help. Goodbye. And then they can start doing it for themselves, mm. which is, I think, the most impactful thing. You know, what's the the Bible, uh, you know, teach a man. Uh, Fish. That's yeah, what was in my mind. That's exactly. Right. It's like, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish and he'll eat for the eat rest for of lifetime. his life. That's exactly. Right. That's and, right. I, and I think like with science and research and public health, you can just force people to take vaccines or you can implement a community-based organization of people that maybe look like other people in the community, explain and educate them the benefit of these vaccines and then encourage them to take it. You'll get a higher success rate of, mm. um, of people getting inoculated. Like these are things that if you're not coming from a colonial mindset and you're actually looking at these underserved communities and asking them, what do you need? They will tell you because they know better. Than and they you. live it. And they, and they live, live it. it. Yes. And living and, it. And exactly. And I, I think, um, you know, you mentioned one of our episodes about heat stress. So, um, Arstrock Resilience Center is an organization that goes to countries all over the world that are struggling with heat stress. And an example of one is in Malawi. There are these open air, or excuse me, not Malawi, it's Sierra Leone. I've got a bunch mm -hmm. of uh, stats in my brain. In Sierra Leone, there are these open air markets where sometimes the sun is just pelting on these people. They're fainting. They're fainting at bus stops and people are dying. And you can be like, well, let's put a bunch of air conditioners in there and like figure out a way to like, just like get in there and muscle your way through it. But now you're talking about energy costs. It's not sustainable. Right. And what they've instead done is gone to these communities, discovered sustainable materials that these people already make and then help them create these almost shade covers so that they can go through the market without being directly pe pelted by the sun, but still some light gets through so they can function in the market and they can work longer hours. They can start to like, they sell more goods and um, it creates a sense of empowerment of we were all suffering under this heat and people were getting sick. Most of these market workers are women. And now mm -hmm. the community is feeling empowered to be able to now start doing it beyond the market in other areas at bus stops, things that Arshrock Resilience Center had not originally set out to do, but the community now is like, oh, this is a great tool. And now we can start using it. That's, That's just right. the thing that gets me super excited to work with an organization because I'm a first generation American. My family's from the Caribbean. My father is from Haiti. And for many years, I have been incredibly outraged by organizations that come into Haiti and just tell them what to do. And if we can see a lot of that stuff doesn't work, Haitians are fully capable of taking care of themselves. Have you ever asked them what they need? That's right. So that's kind of, that's where I get heated. And that's where I get incredibly like grateful that I don't have to feel that way about this organization that I've aligned myself with because their number one priority is empowering people through research to find impactful solutions to like change health outcomes. Mm. So, mm. so, so with that, are there specific topics um, I'll say within the health and science space that you think deserve to kind of be 
more discussed and highlighted within the culture space? Well, of course, I think, you know, there's a lot that I don't understand about a lot of different cultures. And I think even when I kind of poo poo on a colonial mindset, a colonial mindset to me is one in which you think you know better for someone else. And Entitled, you're privileged exactly. thinking, right? And because even, you don't have to, you have not de- dealt with it yourself. So you're looking from the outside and making an assessment. Facts. And yeah. you can see it but also be a part of the problem. So, That's right. <laughs> so like, for example, uh, we did an episode on um, uh, uh, human infection trials. So what happens is individuals will get um, infected with an illness mm-hmm. and then under incredibly like monitored situations, they are given vaccines and then they're studied to see the outcomes of of the efficacy rates and things like that. And if you throw out the idea of a human infection trial to a lot of countries, say in the Caribbean or in Africa, you're going to get a lot of pushback. People are not going to understand why that's beneficial, but I'll tell, I'll tell you something that I learned. So most of these vaccines are being produced in like Western countries, uh, the UK. Um, I mean, in, in, in Asia as well, but also in the States, just think about COVID, uh, 19 vaccines. Okay. And where your vaccines came from now, the efficacy rate for an American receiving an inoculation for COVID-19 is different than if you were to, for example, go to Brazil and inoculate that person. It's going to have a lower efficacy rate mm-hmm. and or it might just be different. It might be di- it just. And so you don't know until you t- you understand it in your own community. And it's That's challenging right. when a lot of these medicines come from these countries that are prioritizing their own needs. So well, for and example, so there's a lack of trust, a significant exactly. lack of trust, and rightfully so, to be honest, because it's agenda based too. So well, here's the thing. So I came in with my American sensibility, which is like f the system, like you know, all of this stuff is all like you know they're coming out to get us. But in some countries, they actually think like, oh, if this vaccine's coming from the United States, I trust it because it probably it. works really well. And I was like, no, they do not feel that way. <laughs> they were like, they do. They think it's great. It's just in some countries, for example, vaccines are for children because vaccine numbers are so limited that you give mm. vaccines to kids. You don't take it in as, a, as an adult. So the cultural curiosity is like, why would I take a vaccine? I'm 30 years old. I don't need it. Give it to the children. And that's the reason why they don't take the vaccine. Mm. Not because they don't trust the agenda, because I'm coming here with my crazy conspiracy sensibilities of like, I can't trust like American Western medicine. But they're like, no, Mm -hmm. we trust it. We just think it should go to the kids because we know we don't get that much vaccine. And that blew my mind. Right. Because I did not I did not I did not feel that way about vaccines. And so in understanding that, I was like, well, how do you educate those guys so that they can maybe understand it's like, well, maybe it's not about education. Maybe it's about showing them these human infection trials and how they can help everybody. So you get people involved. And then it's through this slow exposure that eventually they come to understand the benefits of vaccine. Maybe if you get more vaccines in these countries, 
they're able to feel like there's not a, there's not a, a limited supply, but you can't right. change people's perspectives overnight. And no. that comes with the level of not coming in and presuming, you know, everything and you, well, we just need to educate them or maybe not. Maybe, right. you know, maybe you just take a different approach and over time, maybe moods and, and feelings will change. Right. And I think through that approach piece that you're talking about, I, I think the word that keeps coming to my mind is like prioritization or a, a focus, right? Because I think so often you have these situations and things that probably should be of prioritization or focus, but they're not, right? And so I, I look to you and I say, so so what are some of the most profound topics that you consider to be of great interest or urgency to the general public, um, but haven't really made it to be a priority? Because again, for some reason, prioritization came to me when, as I was listening to you talk. Well, it's, it's going to sound like we've heard it a million times, but we did 12 episodes of this podcast in areas focusing on um, infectious disease like long format uh, research. So research that happens over decades and decades of time, um, mental health, but you know mm. what every single one keeps getting influenced by climate health, climate it's, health. So everything comes back to climate change and it's frustrating because it feels mm. like we're beating a dead horse. We all know it's a problem, but it's like watching people, either a get bogged down by it like me for example i'm just so overwhelmed by the <laughs> where the impending fate of the world appears to be going and then there are people who are like well i can just adapt and keep going and make solutions for people right now considering things like heat and flooding and you know different kinds of stress stressors that develop through climate change and i feel like it's so much bigger than something you or I can individually do. Like it just, do, right. and that's where I get really overwhelmed. And that's where I feel like, you know, for example, being, you know, when I, I lived in uh, Atlanta and, and shot uh, some television over there and like understanding how the Atlanta uh, city system is set up. Do you know much about Atlanta and how like, they basically just like rip through all these black communities and put highways there because no one in the white communities wanted to have highways. That's right. I did hear about that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, A, that's horrible. You completely, you completely destroy communities. And then as you suffer through things like increased heat and pollution and all that stuff, now you have those communities suffering worse health, health outcomes. And, then now everyone's like, oh, well, these communities are predominantly like getting sick. It's because they don't take care of them. Well, well, hold on. Why don't we just like back up and understand? Come like, on, come on. The how, context. Yeah. And so it's just for me, it's like I, I do think in, re in relation to the culture, it's like. I get overwhelmed. I'm constantly learning how to become less overwhelmed. But at the end of the day, like climate change, climate health, these are things that can feel very overwhelming. But in the interviews that I've done and the people that I've met through learning more about public health research, I am 
grateful that there are people who are not as overwhelmed as I am because they're actually doing meaningful work. Sticking their are, heels in it. Yeah. And, and, and changing the lives of the people who are most directly impacted from these things, because I live in a home with air conditioning, you know, granted there's a fear of fire, but I have a vehicle. Like there are a lot of benefits that I have to navigate a lot of the pressures of climate change, but there are a lot of people on this planet that do, do not have those benefits. And so we Which need people you, researching to be able to come up with solutions. Yeah. You talk about it's that colonial approach, right? That mindset of um, when you are privileged, you have so much access to things that you don't have to think about. And you assume you take an assumption, I'm thinking that you mm-hmm. apply to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Right. I think whether you're searching for the latest sneaker drop, that iconic handbag, a timeless watch or your next piece of classic jewelry eBay authenticators are there verifying every detail of your purchase. Yep, we're talking each inch, stitch, tick, facet, and clasp that make the piece you're searching for worthy of your collection. eBay's authenticators are experts in their craft, true connoisseurs. And as leaders in their fields, they're making sure your items always arrive as authentic as your style. So go ahead, get that piece you've always wanted, And leave it up to the meticulous eyes of an eBay authenticator to make sure that watch movement is original, that glimmer is real gold, that rare sneaker is legit, or that handbag is really made of genuine leather and never get faked over again. In a world full of fakes, it's time to get real with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Everyone deserves real. Visit ebay.com for terms. There are many of us who come from marginalized communities who we obviously look at all these things in a different way of the privilege we were not taking for granted because we know exactly what it feels like to not have all these privileges and these entitlements where we have to look at everything as a blessing and a benefit. And this is something that we have, I think, an easier way to empathy than others. Right. And empathy, I think, is is also a a lost art for many who are (laughs) privileged, entitled, uh, I love the colonial (laughs) <laughs> that you you put on, but it, but it's very real. I'm, I'm so, America. A lot of America. I mean, I the first mind blowing experience I had was living in Panama and understanding how America had an incredible impact on the history of Panama and basically taking it from them to build the canal. Mm. And and a lot of the sensibilities of the people in Panama didn't necessarily love that point in history. And I was reflecting. I was like, oh. People don't wow. like Americans. I didn't know that. Why? We're That's great. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, we are a great country, but we also create a lot of impactful situations around the globe. And people have feelings about that. That's right. So, and so as I hear you talk about, you know, climate health, I mean, you just enlightened me a great deal on the impact of that. Um, and you touched a little bit on, you know, what I call the buzz thing now of mental health and wellness, rightfully so, right? Because I know for many of us, we grew up with the stigma of, you know, if you if you were seeing a therapist, you were crazy, right? Back in the day, where now it's like, if you don't see a therapist, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at mental health and wellness, and then becoming more generally accepted and promoted, especially within prop, pop culture, within recent years, why do you think it's so vital, vital for like people of color to be at the forefront of these conversations as it pertains to mental health and wellness. Mm, Man, this is a, this is a hard one because I first started seeing um, a therapist a few years ago and um, 
my whole family felt terrified for me. What is wrong with right, what is right, wrong with you that you right, need to right. be up there? Like, what is going on? Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and but this is how I, we were programmed. This is yeah, how we were programmed. Yeah, and and it was um, it was really scary because it felt really lonely to yep. feel like I was the only one in my family that um thought this was a good thing, and you know I. I, you know, I've, I have family who have um, some severe uh, mental health disorders and it's my family is understanding of that because it's like a, like an extreme medical situation from some, for some extended family members, but this middle ground, you bougie California girl right. with like Better a than good, now. with a good job and like what you have problems. And so it becomes a little bit like that and, and it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to navigate, but at the end of the day, family's full of opinions, but my family's also full of a lot of love and they yep. can tolerate my philosophy on things while also kind of backing off. You know, they don't necessarily want to hear about it. They don't necessarily want to hear me encourage them to maybe talk to someone sometimes. Um, but what it has implored for me was just a deeper connection with some of my family because I'm able to not be so triggered by some of the ways in which my family operates or the things that they say. But I do think there's a, a, a deep fear for a lot of people in our community to talk to the older generations about their use of therapy or, or getting help for things that they might have seen to be trivial. Again, first generation American, I come from a family that's like, we came here to make your life better. There's nothing wrong with your life. So like, right. What, right. what do you have to, what do you even talk to your therapist about? You know? Right. And that's, that's, uh, I'm like, I talk to them about you. Right. <laughs> Actually, how about that? Yeah. But it's like, but, but again, my family, I am lucky enough to, despite the judgment on therapy, they do come with so much love and so much, they're aware that my life is unique because it has some challenges that they couldn't even wrap their minds Bad around. They are, yeah, yeah, and they are understanding of that. But for a lot of friends of mine, especially friends of mine who are either f- directly from the Caribbean or first generation as well, like there is a big struggle in yeah. in being able to just be respected for going to therapy. And I would love to see that be something that changed for the next generation. I mean, our parents are old. Like, let's be real. Like yeah. how much are we really, I want to feel respected by my, my parents, but I also don't know that I can necessarily change them at this point or that I want to, but I, I do hope for the next generation, my children, my cousins, children, that they are not given that same sense of judgment for wanting to have a non-judgmental person to communicate with, you know, that's not a part of their social circle. Well, well, you're, you're being, you're, you're doing your job because you're being the example. And I I say that because, you know, I too have family from uh, the Caribbean first generation American, my family's from Jamaica. So it's the same type of vibe. Right. Mm -hmm. But what, what I applaud you for is the power of being an example is critical, right? Because it's easy to talk about something, but when you actually live it and do it, and people can see it, um, it's to be put on a pedestal of doing the work to help break down stigmas. And I say that to say, because you also being in the world of acting on TV and movies, there's, there's all this mystique around that, and there's all this equity and value that comes with it of the type of individual 
that you're supposed to be for you to incorporate into your lifestyle and your mental health wellness um, portion of it, this notion of therapy and things to that degree, you're already by example, helping to break down those barriers and creating the new norm. Mm. You are part of creating the new norm. So I'm grateful that you are stepping into that space. And I'm also picking up on what might be a great uh, foundation for you is your spiritual walk that God is guiding you through all this, right? Nothing, everything happens for a reason. Nothing is happenstance in your journey, right? So you talk about the full circle of coming back to the science piece as you're in this acting world. All that was part of the plan, right? That adds more credibility to your voice now as you speak to these very important topics that might not have gotten the attention that they should have years ago, yeah. right? So so I, I applaud you for that. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I was, I was going to say, it's just one of many voices of our generation that are trying to shed light on this, on this, even, yeah. you know, you as well, especially being able to have a platform like this, especially like for the culture, like for, for, for the black community, for all sorts of people who may not necessarily feel like they're entitled to go to therapy and feel like they can talk about their feelings. Like this is, this is a fantastic platform to give space to no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, we're not trying to, we can't be all things to all people, but we do want to bring all things to everyone. Mm. Right. And I think there's a, there's a big difference in that. And, and you are part of, of that community or that offering of bringing everything to everyone. And I know you've been, you know, super impressed with even like a, a Michael B. Jordan, who was a, a, a co, a co, uh, you know, uh, something you worked with in the past and you've been very impressed with how he's kind of used his platform to produce projects that help, you know, many different racial and ethical communities. And I know you are, are now doing your own podcast, as you mentioned, with When Science Finds a Way, which I feel is, is so much a part of your way of using your platform as well. What is what's next, though, for you with regard to this what I call purpose driven work? Mm. Well, I'm going to tell a very brief story and then I'm going to answer that. So when I moved to LA and I found myself in acting class and I started learning about the industry and what I had as like raw talent, what I needed to work on and grow as an actor, I would book these jobs. And this is like when we just got Instagram, like 2013 or something. And like, I would post something on Instagram and I would go hashtag want to be working actor. And I would do this for anything. So if it was like a commercial that I booked or like even like a non-union project that I always do use that hashtag want to be working actor. And, um, I did like a scene in my acting class and I was going back to my seat and my teacher pulled me aside and he was like, Hey, why do you think you are a wannabe if you're doing it? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, look at the things that you have done this year. Stop pretending you are not that thing and commit mm. to being that thing. I never want to see wannabe in front of anything you do ever again. You are a working actor. And I never forgot that because what mm. it reminded me is oftentimes I will try and make myself small because it's scary. It's scary That's to right. want something really big. It's It's scary to dream big because you might not get it, but 
oftentimes your dreams may not be where you end up, right? And it doesn't mean that the journey is not a fulfilling life. And so when I think about what I want to do next, I want to write and I want to direct and Mm -hmm. I want to start producing things for myself and for people in the community that I want to bring to the table. So for example, I, you know, or like last year I wrote like a pilot and I set like had a started like developing, like doing drafts and things like that. And like, I'm shooting a short film that I co-wrote and will be directing and starring in. So like, there are so many tiny little things that I'm just putting out into the real universe manifesting power of manifestation because i'm i feel i feel like almost a little naked even saying these things because they're in their infancy but at the same time like if you don't start to acknowledge the reality i start saying i'm a wannabe director i'm a wannabe writer Mm. and i no longer want to be in that space i think the next chapter for me is constantly just trying because at the end of the Mm. day if, if the short film sucks i will have learned something I will listen, have learned. <laughs> you know listen, what I mean? I, you know, it's so funny you mentioned this. Just today, it was something was mentioned to me that I've heard many times, but it really stuck. And now you are reinforcing it once again. Nothing is, <laughs> nothing comes happen said. Everything is all God's plan. And it's when you aim high, you're able to fail high. Mm. Mm. If you aim low, you're going to fail low. But even in the failure, you just said it. It's never failure. It's all learning. Yeah. All learning. Because even with the short film that you're talking about, if it does suck, if it's just one person that is moved or touched or inspired by it, guess what? You've done your job. Yeah. You've done your job. And And you've now got a learning, you got a learning on what to move on. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I struggle in this aspect of directing or I struggle in this aspect of producing or wow, I'm actually really good. The hard part for me is being able to say, I'm really good at this part of it, you know, and, right. and being able to hype myself up. And I That's think right. like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily in a transitional period, but as I wait for my next show and, and I'm starting to develop some of my own things, it feels transitional to me. And I just have to keep reminding myself in those transition spaces, like you are supposed to be here. Like, That's right. There's You're no exactly shoulds. where you're supposed to be. Yeah, there's nope. no shoulds. Just just trust that something interesting is going to unfold if you try. But if you just sit there and wait for something to happen, you might be sitting there for a while. That's right. So let me ask you this. How do you personally define social justice in, in 2023? And with that, what role do you believe entertainers should kind of play in promoting social justice issues in general? Mm. I think I had a crazy burnout in 2020 around topics of social justice. And I was just so hurt and disappointed by everything, stuff I saw on social media, my communities, and that burnout was real. And Mm -hmm. what I started to feel like was the social justice that I can contribute is looking at my own community and figuring out how to be a better friend and, and family member to people who are 
suffering the weight of, of, I don't even want to say like this, but just like of oppression. For example, Mm -hmm. my closest dearest friend is from Iran. And last year there was an incredible movement started to galvanize young women of Iran to create change for their circumstances. They don't want to wear hijab. They want to be able to walk around freely and move freely without being, you know, oppressed by the, the police basically. And my friend was suffering and I am not from her community. I have empathy in terms of knowing what it's like to feel like you're suffering and the people around you that you care about are dying and going and marching with her uh, in LA. We, we did a, a march downtown was so crazy to me because the last time I had done that March was in 2020. And it was mm. like so emotional because whether it's for black people, Asian people, any POC, and then now culturally Persian people, people from Iran, it's like, we're all fighting for the same sense of equality and mm. respect. And even people from like lower socioeconomic positions, everyone's fighting just to have a seat at the table and to be treated with some dignity and with respect. And I feel like if you are seated at the table and someone joins you, you treat them with dignity and respect Mm. and you listen to them and you stand with them. So I learned a lot from watching my friend go through that experience as I'm sure she learned a lot from me watching me go through um, BLM and George Floyd and everything of 2020. So I guess to answer your question, social justice to me now is if you have a seat at the table, look at the people around you, what do they look like? Do they look like you or do they look like the world? For example, Mm. like if you're a business owner, look at your employees. Do you know, like I have a friend who posted a bunch of stuff for July 4th. I'm like, well, did you ever think about posting anything for Juneteenth? Cause like, it's a thing now. Like, Hello. you know, like, I don't know. Like, if, like, if, I don't know. Have you thought about that? And I don't mind like, no, no judgment, but like, That's you right. think about that. And, um, yeah, I feel like for me, social, like for the, for example, the short film, almost everyone save for two people is a person of color. And like, that wasn't even an intention. I just happened to look at the sheet and was like, Oh dang, <laughs> like this really does look like the world. <laughs> right. Because right. my social circle looks like the world, you know? Well, and you, I, I'm, I'm making a, a little bit of an assumption here as I listen to you and know your story. I think being a child of God, you're, you're more open to welcoming all his children who are just like you, right? We just all look different. So you have, an ability to approach things with a little bit more of an openness, I would think, based off of your spiritual relationship with your higher being. And so as I look at that, there's also this a faith component within that, right, in, in, in all this and on your daily journey. How are you taking your spiritual peace and your faith um, on this next manifested vision of yours? Um. Faith in the process is something that I struggle with. I have a lot of anxiety and Mm. um, anxiety keeps me up at night. 
And for one of the episodes we did on the podcast, uh, the science podcast, When Science Finds a Way, was about sleep and about how sleep is being used as a, uh, like almost medicine, a prescription for some people experiencing psychosis. And he offered some basic tools and implements to help you sleep better. I struggle with sleep sometimes when I'm feeling incredibly anxious because I want so deeply for things to go well and I'm stressed and I want everyone to be happy and I want everyone to feel taken care of. And that level of anxiety comes from a lack of faith in the process that everything will be all right. As long as you Mm. do your best, but like, take a breath, girl. (laughs) Like there's days where I'm just like, did you even breathe this morning? I was running around doing a bunch of things. My dog got his eye scratched. And so he has a scratched cornea. We have to take him to the vet and do all this stuff for his eye. And I had to stop twice for just a half a second and take a deep breath. Because I'm learning mm-hmm. if I don't take care of myself, I'm actually a just like I'm not helping a lot of other people uh, That's right. or, my, or my dog. And I think when I take a step back and think about this question you asked me, it comes from a struggle to find faith in the process. And like, I am not by any means a perfect person. I struggle with faith because I want to be able to control the outcome. And Mm. it's just in my nature. I want to be able to know how it's going to go. I want it to go well. I don't want to be surprised by anything. I want to have everything in the box and it'd be fine. You sound very human, Alicia, by the way. You sound sound very human. That thing called human. Yeah, it might be familiar. And so I'm just like reflecting on like, yeah, a lot of the anxiety comes from a lack of faith in the process. And what's beneficial, I would say, when you feel that way, is to look at the community around you, the people you surround yourself with. Are they helping you or exacerbating this anxiety mm. that you feel? That's right. Nice. And I have surrounded myself with a community of people that go, girl. Bring relax. the shoulders down. Relax. Yeah. This, this too shall pass. Everything is going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And sometimes hearing that does not help me. And then sometimes hearing that helps me a lot. And it's exactly what I need to hear, you know, but again, I'm human. And, and I think having faith in the process does give you a level of peace that I think is, is so rewarding feeling like everything's yeah. going to be okay. Um, and I can, do can, can, can I share another uh, remedy or uh, yeah. oh maybe my another, gosh, another, maybe another, another tool for the toolbox? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, we all human. We all go through these um, phases. You know, one of the things that I, I had to do a better job of is reflecting back on instances that I put all this energy and anxiety into, and they never turned out to be as, I don't want to say as bad, but as much as I envisioned them, you know, changing, affecting, diminishing my life, right? Mm. So much of life, 10% of life is what happens to you, but 90% is how you respond to it. Ah, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I, I look at, wait, play back all the instances that you put all this energy into and this anxiety thinking it was going to be so terrible. And really look how you came out of it. Mm-hmm. Like we're still here and still thriving. So if I may share that with you, if you get something, uh, you know, five instances for whatever that you can always reflect back on to think, wow, I remember going into that and I just knew it was going to be a debacle and look what came out of it. Mm. These beautiful flowers, this beautiful situation. You're totally right. I mean, just even taking my career shift, for example, at a point in my life, I probably felt like a failure, but looking at my life now, like 
that was one of the best things that could ever happen to me. Something else just to jump in on, like opening up that toolbox is I've benefited a lot from looking at a thing that I think is a problem and then asking myself, does this have anything to do with me? (laughs) And many times I'm like, girl, this doesn't have anything to do with you. Mind your business. And sometimes that takes a lot of stuff off your plate. (laughs) There you go. Good for you. (laughs) Well, so, so now we are, this is the opening scene to your life documentary Mm -hmm. and it's about to begin. What song is playing and why? Hmm. Um, you know what just came to my head? A lovely what? day. Oh, there you go, lovely day. Lovely, lovely day. day. Look, look at do it, do it. So do it. I, I, that is the first thing that came to my mind because who is that? Is that Mark? No, who sings that? Is that Bill Withers? Bill Withers, yeah. It's Bill Withers. Yeah. So. That's the song that is the the background music of my life because there are a lot of bad things out there and like my life's not that bad. And right. even when things feel really bad and your dog's eye looks like it's going to pop out of his head and you're like, you know, figuring out this and that. And you know what? He's fine. Look at him. He's fine. <laughs> and exactly. like, it's, it's so many times I just feel like you need to take it easy. It's a lovely day. So it's a lovely day. I love it. That's good. <laughs> well, we, we always close these sessions, you know, we, with this one question mm-hmm. and it's really rooted in, you know, a lot of what we talk about, I, I use analogy of like farming, like the planting of seeds and how you nourish it and you water it. And then it blossoms into this amazing thing. So I, I'd love for you to share what you feel are the three seeds that you'd want to leave with the stewards of culture moving forward. And these are tools that we feel put us and our culture in the best hands moving forward based off of these three key things that come to your mind first. Mm. I feel like the first thing is sharing, you know, I'm always so excited to share my culture and to receive someone's culture. I want to learn about where you come from, what it's like. Um, I want to eat a meal with you. I feel like, sharing a meal with someone, especially if it's coming from your cultural roots, something that maybe Mm. you came, you grew up with eating. My mom just gifted me her mother's serving platters. So I have these serving platters that my mother ate rice and peas on growing up. They're like made in in Jamaica. Like they're so cool. And just yesterday I had a friend over and we fed her off of one of these bowls and mm. these serving plates. And I feel like that level of culture, whether it's overt or kind of subverted in, in just even the way I decorate my home or anything like that, I think sharing, but also receiving it and being open to other people of false fosters a little bit of humanity. Um, Love that sharing, sharing a uh, culture. Um, c- connecting with your community. I feel like, so I would say connection, like, I live uh, in in uh, Sonoma County for a portion of my year, and there's not a thriving Jamaican first generation community out here at all. And I keep so I'm almost giving this to myself. I keep saying like you need to find a rooted community here for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's been on my list of researching where where are my people, or do I have to commute down to Oakland to see them? Like where are they at? Right that is something that helps me feel connected to my culture and makes me a better person to share and receive when I'm like nourished within my own community. Um, so I would say that, and also like 
take with you from your culture what serves you and let go of the things that don't serve you. So, Mm. So there's a friend of mine the other day said, you know, they... Uh, this is such an extension, their friend left their war-torn country and they hated a lot of aspects of their war-torn country, but they love their food and they love cooking their the food from their culture and sharing it. And I was like, yeah, because you don't have to love the politics of where you come from, but you can love the food and, and the community. Like you can, you can choose. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So I would say the third is just take what serves you and, and maybe like go leave what the doesn't. Rest and, and start because you are, you, the culture, it does not get pushed onto you. You are the culture. So you don't have to take everything on and be a pawn of the system. You can take That's what right. serves you and be your own person. So. I love that. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for this time. I feel like we could have gone for like another 30 easily. <laughs> Um, maybe that's part two. Maybe that's part two. Yeah, but I do, I do want to applaud you for your work. I do want to applaud you for the space that you're stepping in, in terms of being a vessel of purpose and utilizing, you know, your passion around science for the collective betterment of the world and especially that of marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Again, nothing is a coincidence. That's just God's way of remaining anonymous. And I'm glad you've stepped into that. And see that, you know, you being an actor, actress um, is now the, the, the platform that provides for a more scalable message to be received. So I ask that you continue to push, continue to do your thing. You have a community here who will support you. But I truly want to thank you for your time and your presence. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a wonderful conversation. <laughs> It was a pleasure, 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 pleasure. We truly appreciate your support because it helps us fulfill our mission of promoting cultural awareness and personal development. Please click the subscribe button below to help ensure and solidify our mission.